right, welcome back, guys. Jay Martin here, and I'm joined once again by Jeff Clark. Jeff, it's really good to see you. Thanks for making the time. Thanks for inviting me, Jay. Great to be back talking to you. Well, there's a few different directions I want to go, and you've been busy uh, this summer, site visits, conferences, lots going on. You know, the most uh, frequent question that I'm getting from my viewers is probably the most frequent question that you're hearing from your readers, which is to say, if all the macro stars are lining up, how come the price isn't moving? How come silver is sleeping right now? Maybe let's start there and then I'll start pulling on threads. Well, obviously it's a fair question. Even I said publicly, I thought silver was gonna rise when inflation spiked and it's done the exact opposite. So a little egg on my face for that, but uh, but there's a couple things going on. A lot of macro forces are aligned for it, but a couple are not. And the, those are the things that have been the barrier the biggest one I'm sure your audience knows is the U.S. dollar and the strength of the U.S. dollar or strength of the U.S. dollar, right? Um, and, and the spike that it's had, you know, gold and silver are priced universally in, in uh, U.S. dollars. And so the higher it goes, the, the, the stronger the, the barrier against them rising. And so that's, that's been part of it. It all got kickstarted because of a sell everything environment, right? Real yields are changing, and the Fed most recently has been very clear in stating they're going to be very aggressive, more than I think a lot of people thought, in raising rates. And that makes the mainstream uh, investor and institutional crowd outside of gold and silver that don't understand it's the real yield that impacts things. That makes them uh, you know, want to sell gold and silver because rates are going to rise, and that's not good for gold and silver. So I think a combination of those factors is what's been playing into it. Um, but of course, I think that is going to change. Uh, I've documented very clearly um, that gold and silver cycle, and after a down cycle, uh, next is an up cycle. So I think that's what's coming. The only thing we don't know is the timing. Yeah, and that's that's okay. Let's stick with that for a second because you're right. And I'm on the same page as you, and I've sort of placed my bets accordingly, as I'm sure you have and are doing. I mean, I know you're actively going to sites right now. It's because you're you're allocating capital, Jeff. When you know you're right, you can never know when you know things are gonna shift, right? You can you can believe the thesis and you can maintain conviction, even when you have to wait longer than you thought you were going to, but that waiting period can be very, very tough, you know, six months, nine months, twelve months, and you you remain convicted in your thesis, but things don't move yet. Like, how do you manage your mental state during those long periods of not knowing? That's a great question. And I think it's an important question because if your expectations are here and something over here happens instead, you know, that can destroy your faith in the investment when actually maybe it was your expectation that was wrong and not the investment. And I think that's exactly what we have in the case with silver. So, um, you know, the point I wanted to get across at Silver Symposium that I spoke at was that, look, silver's DNA is very clear. If you go back 50 plus years, you look at its price behavior, it's it's boring. It, it does nothing. It goes sideways. It's weak. Uh, and even many times when other investors at other times thought it should be rising, it didn't. It's boring, boring. And then all of a sudden, what happens? There's this, you know, sudden, almost violent spike where it just comes out of nowhere, catches many people off guard and goes on this huge run uh, on average, more than doubling uh, during those spikes. So silver's DNA is boring, boring, boom. We're obviously in the boring phase. But what I did is I went back and looked at all of those spikes and I looked at the time period between each of them. 
and I measured them and I documented them in a report. And what I found was that those boring, boring times are measured in years. They're not measured in months. And in many of those cases during the boring phase, it's true. There were a lot of people wondering why isn't silver reacting uh, back in the 90s, back in 2000, after 9-11, um, back in even 19, uh, the mid-1970s, silver fell. And that was right after gold was, um, you know, became legal again to own in the U.S. Inflation was soaring, and yet silver fell. So we've seen this before. Anyway, if you take out, if you average all those uh, time periods between the spikes, and you take out the two bear markets, the, the real long bear markets that were in the 90s and one in the 80s, if you take those out, the average time between the spikes is two years and seven months. This is this has nothing to do with fundamentals. This is strictly just historical price behavior, right? Two years and seven months. When was our last spike? It, almost exactly two years ago. So I think 2023 could be very interesting for silver. So to answer your question, that's the expectation. If we know that's the expectation, even though we thought silver was going to rise during inflation, but if the expectation is, look, there's long periods of boring, and sometimes it doesn't react to catalysts we think it should. Historically, it has not always reacted to catalysts we thought it should. If that's your expectation, you understand that, then you realize, hey, silver is not a bad investment. We need to change our expectation, look at what uh, you know is more realistic in terms of its historical price behavior. So I personally think next year could be very interesting. And that's based on historical price behavior, but also some key fundamentals I think are going to play out here uh, in the near future. Now, when you look at those driving forces, right? If you're looking at the monetary maybe angle, it's the inflation hedge, it's the hedge against geopolitical uncertainty. Maybe it's tied to the performance of gold and central banks are buying tons of gold right now. And so there's a lot of um, rationale over there to get excited. But the industrial use case is kind of happening in parallel right now with this big push for renewable energy and the demand that's going to put from solar, et cetera. Is there one or the other, Jeff, that or is it, you know, all things equal? But, you know, what would you point to as this is get, this is giving me some increased conviction right now? And maybe this is not. Uh, two things. One is investment demand. Um, now, retail investment demand is, is okay. It, it's reasonably strong, but it's not really dramatically rising. And the number one factor that impacts the price of silver, believe it or not, is investment demand, especially mm -hmm. for physical investment demand. And the reason is because industrial demand stays pretty constant. It's going to rise over time. Uh, jewelry demand stays pretty constant, you know, tends to rise over time. Yeah. Excuse me. The big thing that is uh, that that varies is investment demand. When it investment demand is down or low, the silver price tends not to react. When investment demand is high, silver does tend to react and go into one of these spikes. So that's a key factor. So I'm I'm what I'm saying is watch next year for investment demand to shift from being okay, you know, relatively average, basically. In some cases, it's weak, and especially ETF demand. But next year, I think that changes, and that could be, you know, a spark. So, uh, and the other issue is industrial demand. I think industrial demand, what I tried to point out in that, that, that talk was that I think it's going to be greater than a lot of people think. It hasn't really kicked in yet, and solar demand is going to be dramatically higher, I think, than a lot of people realize. Uh, one example, they're already using double-sided solar panels in China, so they can capture 
you know, morning sun, and then they can rotate it and capture afternoon sun. Mm. So uh, some companies are, are starting to use multi-layered solar panels. So it's not just the top layer of paste that is on there, but a multi-layered one so they can capture even more power from the sun. So uh, there's a lot of things happening like that. The U.S., as you, you know, point out, wants to green the grid too, right? So I think there's going to be <clears throat> a substantial jump in demand for silver for so silver for industrial reasons over the next year or two. We're going to see a big jump in that coming in the next year or two. So I still think uh, this is you know pretty bold to say, but I still think silver is probably going to be the trade of the decade. Uranium is going to be strong. Gold is going to be strong. Silver could potentially see one of the biggest rises. It could be the next great bubble, probably after uranium. But I think by 2030, you know, it, it's, uh, I think you want to hold on to your silver. Let's just put it that way. So, okay. That's, I want to jump back to that time horizon in a second. That's really valuable. So I want to hold on to that first though, on the industrial and solar technology fronts, you know, I, I tend to agree. And I feel like if there's a bottleneck occurring right now, it's that the number one criticism of solar and it's valid is that it's not baseload, right? You need the sun to shine. Right. The same thing about 90% of renewable energy, uh, sources maybe outside of nuclear, you know, it's the one base load source, but that's just a technology problem, right? The battery tech will eventually make solar, wind, whatever else base load equivalent where we can store that energy as effectively as producing it in real time. Um, and there's there's not really like, you know, once we have some winners, I think in that field right now, there's a dozen different types of batteries. They're all competing for the top spot. We don't know who's going to win. Uh, it makes investing in the rare earth components kind of challenging because you don't know, you know, where demand's going to go. But once that is solved, then it will be solved, right? Then we'll be thinking about these renewable uh, energy sources very differently because they will be baseload equivalent due to their storage capacity. And that could be a massive, um, a massive fire on the gas. Yeah, engine. great point. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, so I think what I think is, if I could just comment on it real quick, is uh, the... Paris Climate Accord's goal is to get global electricity use to 40% or more over the next, uh, I forget what the date was, but over the next couple of decades. Right now, it's 3%. All global electricity produced from solar is 3%. Oh, okay. Yep. Now, the Paris Climate Accord, you know, they sometimes have their head in the clouds and, you know, that's my little comment on them. But yeah. But the point is, we know the direction. We know what they're going to push. We know what behavior they're going to incentivize. We know what uh, technology they're going to subsidize, potentially. We know where they're going to devote resources and time and energy and funds. So uh, I do think solar gets a lot bigger. And in fact, I think there's technology right now that's actually for solar panels uh, to use even more silver per panel not less. A lot of people think, oh, it's going to be less. No, it's actually going to be more in a lot of cases. And on top of that, there's going to be more solar panels themselves. Yeah. So you have two factors at work there, and that's going to lead to greater demand. It, it just, the issue is for investors, it's not going to happen tomorrow. It's it's in the process, it's happen, happening in the background, but it's it's going to be potentially very big for the industry. 
Yeah, agreed. And I'm excited about that whole space. And, you know, I agree the Paris Accord goals are often disconnected from reality, maybe, but, um, <laughs> you know, but if there wasn't a sense of urgency five years ago, there is one today, right? I had Ronnie exactly. Stouffer on my show uh, recently, and his government in Austria is now recommending people start experimenting with cold showers, <laughs> you know, as a, as a practice. And I think you're in California, there's no, there's similar set statements coming out, I imagine. Right. And, and yeah, my wife has an electric car. We were told not to charge our electric car during regular hours, but I can take my car to a gas station and fill it up. So yeah, <laughs> we, we can get off on the politics uh, very easily, but yeah. I don't want to, because it's no fun. They're, they're, yeah, I think it's fun, but we don't have to do it. Yeah, you're right. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's uh, get back to your time horizon, though, because that's really, really important. And I, I stress this so frequently on my channel that you know, step one as an investor is identifying that time horizon because it makes everything else easier. And if if you are a day trader or a swing trader, then by all means, sweat that timeline. But if you're not, if you're an investor and you're like me and you're you're in a short position, like a short term position. It's usually three years, right? Whereas like I'm in this game longer term, it really helps manage the emotional roller coaster when the price doesn't do what you want it to immediately, right? Mm -hmm. And so how do you balance your high risk versus your, and do you have like anchor positions? Like that could be physical, that could be ETFs, that could be producers, you know, and how do you balance that with your high risk opportunities like the expiration businesses? I think most of them are not going to move until silver does. And that timeline for me is not 2030. It's much sooner than that. I think within a year or two, um, everyone's going to be talking about silver, quite frankly, 2023, 2024, because there's going to be a huge jump in demand uh, on the industrial side. That's going to drive the price higher, which is going to pull in more investors. So um uh, it, it's tough because you nobody knows, uh, even the traders, the long-term people, the technical traders, all of this, nobody really knows what that time horizon is. So all you can do is really place your bets, right? But the neat thing about holding physical silver is you can just hold it and just wait for the next run that's going to come because it is partly money, right? It's not just an industrial meadow. It's partly money. So, so I like that. And then in terms of speculations, um, you know, investing in silver equities, um, you can have, you know, one-off opportunities, you know, a stock that will do well despite what the silver price is doing because something that management did or advancing a project, making a discovery, going into production, you know, doubling a resource, things like this could could ignite, you know, a a a run in in that equity. So that's more speculative, but I like doing that. And you can you can make a profit right now on some of these, you know, especially when you look at how undervalued they are. A good example, Jay, it's not a silver one, but look at Snowline Gold, what it what it's done, you know. I recommended that about a year ago and it's gone 10x since then. So that's a, that's an opportunity where gold is falling, right? But the stock went up because of the things that they were able to do. So I think if you look at individual opportunities as just that and look and see if there's something compelling coming in the near term, you can actually speculate and invest now while we wait for the broader investment horizon to ultimately push the silver price itself much, much higher. Do you also put cash in producing companies, Jeff? Um, you know, I, I'm really attracted, you know, much further down the ladder, you know, I, 
I eat down the food chain, as they say, you know, more into explorers and developers and pre-producers and, and things like that. So that's where most of my uh, cash is deployed. Um, the only producer I own in the industry is, is First Majestic Silver. I made that pretty clear. That's one I really like. And there's a lot of reasons I like it, but the main one is because it's not because I know management and I've been to all their projects and all that. It's because this stock has this uncanny ability to, to have high leverage to a moving silver price. And I've documented this before. I think I documented it in my talk too at VRIC. This thing has tremendous leverage. It's like a junior, even though it's a mid-tier senior primary silver producer on its way to a major, it has leverage like a junior. That's, that's the number one reason I own it. So when silver moves, you'll see First Majestic stock move one, two, three, as many as 10 times more than what the silver price did. And that's just within the past five years. So um, that's one big reason I like it. Uh, but that is the only producer I own. It's not a comment on other producers. Yeah. It's a comment on me just liking Explorers more. Yeah, no, that makes all the sense in the world to me. You know, one reason I, I encourage people, if they're new to the sector, say, for example, silver, to look at an explorer portfolio, maybe one or two companies to begin is because we're all subject to a bit of FOMO. And when things start to heat up, we make decisions too fast sometimes. But if you're, you know, you place your first bet on a, on a producer or something a bit more secure, you can rest assured you've got a horse in the race. You can still participate in that upside. You're in the game. Right. And so you don't need to rush mm -hmm. into a position for fear of missing out. You know, you've got some skin in the game now, and then you can take a more balanced and patient approach when you want to go down the food chain to those highly speculative where the fun is. That's where I like to play too. You yeah. Get that torque, right. That's what it's all about. But yeah, but you don't rush point. in, you know, fools rush in blind because you've got nothing else on the table. Um, so talk to me about the expiration business right now. You know, are you focusing geographically? Um, are you are you excited about certain management teams? And you've been to a couple of site visits recently. If you can talk about any companies, and we'll get into your new service soon because that's really exciting. But uh, what's catching your eye right now, Jeff? Yeah, I have been making a lot of site visits, and I'm going to be on more next week after Beaver Creek. So it's been a busy uh, summer and fall for me, but it's great. I love it, and you know, seeing a site, you know, firsthand. Uh, and looking management in the eye, those kinds of things are really important to me. One example was Cassier Gold, and I know we're talking about silver, but this one sticks out because I knew it was 59,000 hectares. I read that on the website, but until you actually got there and saw it and mm -hmm. just how big it was, and it took us 15 to 20 minutes just to drive between drill targets and drill sites, it's like, holy crow, this thing is huge. This is mm. They're going to have years of exploration here. So that's the kind of thing you get out of site visits. That's why I like to do it. So, um, and I'm sorry, what was the rest of your question? <laughs> well, if there's any, it. yeah, yeah. So if you're focused, are you, okay, how about this? Are you oh, yeah, more right. disciplined with your geographic approach today and jurisdictions than you have been in the past? And if so, where do you, where are you looking? I think you have to look at, the geographical location, you have to screen for it. In my opinion, it's critical. I've been burned, you know, more than once about being with an exciting project with a geo that drew me in. Uh, but it unfortunately was in some war-torn part of Africa and the coup rose up and it killed the investment. Nothing changed with management, nothing changed with the project. It was simply the politics that surrounded that area that killed it. And so 
Jay, I screen for it. I, I don't go to war-torn parts of Africa and maybe I'll miss some every once in a while, right? But um, I, I screen, I only go to the very best jurisdictions with the very best people and the very best projects. Even if they're, we can only say their perspective, I wanna look at the most perspective. So it's the three legs of the stool that everybody talks about, including Rick Rule, right? So um, I, I do screen for that. And I only go to the very strongest in all three of those categories. Any uh, companies you can name drop for me today that you're watching, Jeff? Well, I've got them all on the new website, the ones that I really like, and there will be more uh, depending on how these site visits go uh, this fall. But um, the ones that are on the site now are Raina Silver. I really like them. I like Suma Silver a lot. And I like BlackRock. The stock sold off on that resource estimate, but the expectation was a lot higher. But believe it or not, that is the highest grade undeveloped silver project now in the world um, because everything else that was higher grade is in production and that's probably going to grow. So I think Suma is going to do well. Reina is actively drilling three projects right now. And uh, I think that was, and then I mentioned first Majestic Silver. Um, oh, and then Silver Hammer. I like that a lot. That's actually Wall Street Silver's largest personal position right now. So Silver Hammer, you know, early stage, but we're working on three highly prospective projects. So those companies are, are uh, highly prospective. I think, you know, any one of those could go, I own the basket in case one of them blows up, right? You got to own a basket, yeah. but you know, they all met my criteria and I made them fill out a questionnaire, <laughs> my questionnaire, right? To pass my criteria and all their answers are on the website. So it's, it's kind of insightful and useful, I, I think. I love that. Now, I want to point to your new platform because if you're allocating cash in the exploration business, you're at severe risk. And if you don't have time to do sufficient work, and sufficient work is a lot of time, especially in the exploration business, uh, point to people that you can trust, get on their team, right? And move into projects with the guidance and counsel of somebody who does this full time. Like I'll stress that all day long. I'm the biggest beneficiary of my channel because I get to spend time with people like you, Jeff, and pick you yeah. So that's the reason I do this. Now, tell me about the new platform because this is exciting. You know, I was getting frustrated because I, I have a lot I want to share and, and I really had no portal or place to go with mining stocks. I was, you know, work with Mike Maloney. I'm still going to be writing for him, by the way, but, but it's not about mining stocks, you know? So I needed a place where I could go and share my picks and not just share them, but talk about why I like them so much and uh, continue to follow up with them because I'd be at a conference and people would ask me a month later, well, what about XYZ? I had no place to really do that. So, plus I'm kind of at a point in my life, I'm not, you know, 19 anymore. So I kind of want to give back to the community. This is kind of what I want to do at this point in my life, kind of pay forward what other analysts have done for me and how I've learned and, and profited from it tremendously. So, and I even put my re personal return on the portfolio uh, page. So uh, that was kind of the impetus behind this. So, um, you know, I wanted to provide a sort of a due diligence portal, if you will, for investors where they could come and look at, okay, I want to learn about XYZ or this group of stocks that Jeff's like, why does he like them? They can get all that information there. And it's free. I made it free. I do have sponsors. So full disclosure there, but um, but I made it, I wanted to make it free for investors so anyone could come and look at it and use that as part of their own due diligence to look at what I think are some of the better speculations in the industry. And I own them all. 
uh, all the stocks that are on that site, I own them all. They're all major positions for me. So, so my goal is to hopefully make it useful for people to see the portfolio. You do have to subscribe to the newsletter, but again, it's still free, no spam. Crazy. You know, you yeah. choose, even choose how frequently you want to get it and stuff. So that's sort of the impetus behind it and what I hope to accomplish with it. So I, I hope people find it useful. Well, no doubt. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be foolish if you're allocating cash to the silver sector to not sign up for a free service from Jeff. That's ridiculous. I'll just say it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And um, are you only going to be covering companies that you're excited about, Jeff, or, you know, you get back from a site visit and turns out this is not what you thought it was going to be? Will people hear your criticisms as well? Uh, no, I, I'm not going to post negative comments. If I don't like a company, they just won't be on the site that, Got you know, it. I, I'm, I'm not out to try to hurt a company or anything like that at all. So I, I don't want to do that. And by the way, just because a company is not on the site doesn't mean I don't like them. And there's 3000 yeah. of these things, right? You can't get yeah, to all yeah. of them. So, so it's just ones that I'm aware of and I've investigated and, and I like. So, okay. And where do we, where do we point people to? Where do they find it? Uh, it's just a takeoff from my Twitter handle. So it's thegoldadvisor.com. Again, it's free. And uh, you can see some sections without even signing up. Uh, for the newsletter, but to see the portfolio, you do need to uh, sign up for the newsletter. Thegoldadvisor.com. All right. Yeah. Jeff, thanks so much for coming on today. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Jay, one more thing I got to tell you, what's going to happen is this, because of silver's history of boring, boring boom, the next spike is going to come. The next boom is going to come and it's probably going to catch people off guard. Mm -hmm. It's going to ignite suddenly, maybe even violently. And if you're not invested before that happens, you're going to pay more to get invested after it happens. It's going to happen. History is very clear on this point. So be prepared for it now. I love that. That's a great way. And note to cap on. Thanks so much, Jeff. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor. Follow or subscribe to this podcast. Drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.